Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. Today is August 28th, 2014, and my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. And uh, what do we do? We kick it off by uh, giving Justin Bergman some uh, props for his win up at uh, the Carom Room in Beloit, Wisconsin. Uh, he's one of our Moscone Cup contenders, so uh, he's... Um, been doing quite well this year. We look forward to seeing uh, uh, how that team comes out, with, uh, whether or not he's on there or not. So uh, what else is happening? Well, you know, the World Cup of Pool is coming up. It's another matchroom sport event. And, uh, of course, I'm hoping you've heard of it, unless you live in a cave, because Earl Strickland and Shane Van Boning are going to be teaming up for that. And is is his style. Earl has already tar- started the smack talking Way to go, Earl. I hope you. Uh, I really hope you guys uh, can pull it off over there, and uh, do us proud. So, uh, put your money where your mouth is, brother. Yeah. What else is going on? Well, you know, this is something I, I wanted to be very specific about mentioning this. Uh, the BEF Billiard, Billiard Education Foundation uh, has just launched a program by which uh, they hope to get junior state championships going in every state in the union. Now, that's a lofty goal, but uh, it's a great goal. So if uh, you guys know anyone or you are someone who is uh, supportive of the juniors and would like to get involved in holding a state championship in your state, don't hesitate to ask uh, BEF about getting together and uh, making that happen because... uh, That, of course, is a really good cause. So um, up next on the show, we're going to be talking with uh, Ian Brock. He has been developing an app, a new scorekeeping app, and a system that works with that app uh, for keeping track of an entire league's worth of scores all electronically and then uh, automatically putting it into a database. Um, Of course, uh, he'll explain it a lot better than I. Uh, Stick around for that. And, uh, and then a little later, Mr. Cantrell is going to be talking with uh, Bruce St. Bruce James, uh, a radio DJ out of Phoenix, uh, who does the morning news there about uh, what the industry looks like, the pool industry looks like from, from the outside, from the people that don't play pool. So stick around, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Welcome to the show, Ian, and uh, I just want you to explain a little bit more to us about what you got going on with this new app. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me on the show. Um, the new app, I guess it's been out for about a year now, and we've been working on it really since 2010-11. Okay. Uh, TAP has allowed us to, you know, develop this, and and it's uh, turned out pretty good. It's it really what it is. It's, it's an acquisition for data, so it replaces a paper score sheet, mm. and it makes it easy for the scorekeeper to reconcile data at the end of the match, and then submit that match wirelessly through Wi-Fi, and uh, the licensee gets subscription and pushes it over to the Poolnet server at Tap, and can go in and uh, submit data and generate a handicap without touching paper. 
Okay, so for the for the layman, the you're talking about using an app on say like a phone or a tablet to keep scores for matches or leagues or whatever you know you're using it for, and it can yeah electronically collect all of the information or all all the data from those games, collaborate it and send it to a database. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's basically it. The tap has a traditional score sheet. Uh, we've you know made an app that mimics it basically, okay. and uh, as opposed to going in and looking at your race matrix and uh, matrix and looking up your player number and ID and filling all that out by hand, uh, it's all done for you. You just open up the app and it's like looking at a roster on your handicapping uh, um, application. You just open it up and the team's there. You pick the team, the two players. It throws the race for you. Uh, you start the match and tells you how many games you have to win, and uh, there's even time clocks on it. There's a shot clock and a, a timeout clock, and it tracks that for you. It tracks all your error eights, eight breaks, and that type of thing, and basically all the data that's uh, on the match. And, and at the conclusion of the match, right, you just touch a button, and it goes directly into the server, and um, the licensee nice. goes in and touches another button and uh, generates a handicap through PoolNet with it. Cool, cool, very cool. So why doesn't everybody use this? <laughs> it sounds like a good idea, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, the idea arose several years ago, and now we have it, and uh, it's it's here. So, um, you know, it's really the the owner of the league was a visionary. He saw into the future, and looking at his interviews from 2009, he knew uh, what was coming down the line. And and really, this is it. You're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing all walks of life. I mean, there are apps that are popping up to do anything for you sure. uh, throughout daily life. You know, I'm sure you're, anybody uses one, and uh, you know, for anything. And, and, and this is just a natural progression. I mean, pool is, it, it's time, and it's starting to see it. And uh, you're seeing other apps as well. I mean, you know, not just, uh, there are several apps that have popped up in the last several years. And right, right. It, it makes, uh, you know, it changes the experience for the pool player, and it makes it easier, nicer, I guess. If you just say that, it's gotten good reviews. But for the league player in TAP, uh, you know, they're adopting it fast and they're enjoying it. So it, it, I think you will hear more about it in the, in the coming year, you know. Uh, considering what's happened with this year, it's been tough with the, the, the passing of our founder and uh, their family's been working through that. And uh, we're about to head off to Dallas, and we've all been working so hard the last several months to prepare for this. So right. uh, I think you'll see it there. You'll see quite a bit of uh, information on it in Dallas as well. Well, now, I'm mean, uh, help me understand this here. If, and I'm looking at this because I don't know that much about it yet. I'm just assuming that by using this, a a, a one stop system, so to speak, to tabulate everything for a league or a tournament or what have you, doesn't mm-hmm. that save a lot of people having to write things down, pass paper, enter data, print it out, pass data, and take data from here to there physically. I mean, it doesn't that save a lot of... Wouldn't that save tons of time for somebody? It it does. Personally, here, it it reduces my weekly workload from about seven hours to about a half an hour. So it does. And as far as drive times, we have licensees that uh, were on the road three times per week for three hours each. So, you know, nine hours a week. Try to add that up. I mean, yeah. right. It's a full week of work at the end of the at the end of the month, and uh, basically that's just been eliminated. You know, and it really you put that you put that full week of time back into your league, promoting it and taking care of your players. So sure. it really has made it um, more efficient 
and allow the licensees to concentrate better on on their players. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the player had to print out a roster sometimes, and if not, the licensee would print it and send it to the bar. It would go into a sleeve, and you'd have to drive it and you know get in a truck and spend that time and gas getting it there. And you know, sometimes yeah. it, it would get there, sometimes it wouldn't. Yeah, there's now it's secure. It's everything comes in secure. We're doing the uh, submission wirelessly. And, most of our, our licensees are starting to adopt to a PayPal system, which uh, takes away the paper, so you don't have to deal with uh, you know money issues as well in the bar. Sure, sure. So it's becoming pretty seamless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like you said earlier. I think that's the future of the uh, of the game or all games because it's just too easy to uh, use a system like that as far as the elimination of the workload. If you think about just a few hours that one person might save, and then multiply that times everybody that could potentially use it that's you know thousands if not millions of hours of actual labor saved just by you know what i mean just by electronically scoring and keeping all that information uh it is handy it like that the, it, it keeps the data uh, much tighter i mean basically what the app does is it automatically reconciles your match for you so you know one of the big problems in, in league play is you'll you'll you mark all those little matchsticks and chicken scratches on your paper. And it's not so much the player that doesn't call his shot Mr. Defense. It's when you go to count up those matchsticks. And if you just miss one of those, that will blow your handicap a lot worse than not calling sure. a couple of shots. Sure. So that's the one thing that really is not seen, but the administrators of the, of the handicapping right. system at TAP now have a much more... Uh, competent set of data that's coming across to them for them, you know, those administrators to to draw their parameters and, and, and make the handicapping even more finite. And it really is a, a great system at this point. I mean, everybody agrees that the eight ball handicapping for full race and cap really is, is the cap's, you know, however you want to look at it. It's, it's everybody uh, agrees that it's the best system out there. So, yeah. Well, why don't you think, why do you think that uh, um, other leagues don't? All leagues don't adopt uh, a software system like this. Is it, do you think it would will. cost them? Would it cost them too much? Let's be honest. Would it cost well, them too much? That's one of the reasons. I mean, you have to have a, a licensee who's a, a tinker like me and have another player who's in the league who's a, a computer engineer get together and do something like this. It, it is. It's very expensive to, to draw apps and, and put so, it on the market and do this. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think that the larger leagues can do it, but there's also a feasibility issue as far as having everybody adopt it. When you get this large, you really, I, I think that's one of the advantages CAP has at this point, uh, is that they have a really tight group of licensees. We, we all communicate very well, and it seems that uh, they really have taken to it like a deck to water. Most licensees who hook up the app have everybody hooked up within two weeks. So nice. um, it's going fairly quickly. But that's really because of the design of the app and the amount of the two, three years of development time we had on it before we released it. It really made it user-friendly, allowed for the licensee to train their players, and uh, it's going smoothly. But I think if you get on a larger level, uh, you know, it, it does. It takes years to do it. So I think we will see it eventually. I think you're going to see the player demand it, and that's really what's going to dictate uh, apps being in each individual league. You're, you know, it really is up to the player, and it always has been. Whatever the mm -hmm. player... Uh, sees as right or what they identify with. I mean, that's really what the operator does is he tries to facilitate that player and what they want. And, I, and basically, that's what the players are starting to want. They want apps. Like, they want apps when they go out and shopping or, you know, whatever they do. So Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. it's just a natural progression. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we it, everything else on the planet almost is electronically scored anyway. So why wouldn't you, uh, yeah. you know, if you think about it, everything from darts to bowling to, you know, sure. you know, sure. it, it's uh, you, like you said, the natural progression of things as far as uh, keeping the data strong. So what's the future? What are you uh, what are you going to pl- what are you going to do with this? Who is the, who do you want well, to use it? <laughs> You know, the thing is, my my wife and my partner have put a lot of time in in the downtime, off time, uh, you know, tinkering, coming up with all types of... Uh, there's a lot of things that we've done here that haven't been seen yet. And uh, one of the things that we had in there was an action match, which was basically like a little practice match where you could set your own race, uh, set the... Uh, set the race, set the names, whatever you want as far, you know, and then you can go through with the preliminary stat page and take a look at your performance and you can archive it and go back to history and see how it is. But there's a lot of things in the app uh, that will probably start coming out after uh, our event, our Southwest Challenge in Laughlin uh, this spring. And mm-hmm. just some neat stuff. I mean, one of the things that people have seen is the live sharing, which is uh, it's a cloud-based application. So, two devices can communicate to each other. So basically if there are two scorekeepers and one wants to go to the bathroom or go get a drink at the bar, the other scorekeeper, uh, the tablet will, will keep track, um, you know, based on the, the remaining scorekeeper that's at the, at the table. Sure. So when he returns, he can catch up without even asking him if it's a loud bar or, or whatever. So right. that's one of the things that the players, we've had it out for a little bit, but uh, we took it off and we're, we're just, we're making sure the app is going to become, we want to get everybody adopted onto it make it real easy to use, and then we'll have the features that we've developed uh, as the bells and whistles uh, when it's done and we have everybody uh, using it. We just don't want to throw too much at players right off the... It's pretty complicated. Um, it seems like it's complicated when you first use it, but it takes about 90, you know, 90 seconds, and you got it figured out. If you can keep score on a paper score sheet, you'll adapt to this fairly quickly, but there are some tricks to it, like any app. And the more things that we throw on top of that might just confuse the first time. And since we're just, you know, we still have about 40% of the league to go, uh, when we get it all hooked up, we'll, we'll release that live sharing and we'll put a practice match into it and, and do some other things. We have some standalone stuff that we're looking at as well, but um, all of that will come after Lawson. You know. mm. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, sounds good. It really does. It sounds like it would be an um, entirely useful system. And I don't know why, you know, I don't know why everybody wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know why all why all the leagues wouldn't use it. Really, to be honest with you, it seems like it would just you save know, a lot of work. But you know, it's what? almost it's a, it's a custom built piece. So if the the leagues can use it, I mean, you could effectively use it by switching a name or. But you really, it's it, it, it's cohesive with Tap. Tap was the one that uh, really saw the value in this and yeah. allowed us to do it sure. and you know they're going to reap the reward for anybody can jump in and make an app and do it but like you said i mean if you wanted to put a number on it and start thinking of all the hours you have and we have over three thousand hours of development so mm-hmm. computer yeah. engineering doesn't come cheap and it is it's a big price tag and then you have a long uh, lead time getting everybody trained and hooked up and so uh you know we're, we're being patient and um I think it's going very well, and I think we should have everything wrapped up here. I, I would hope by the end of the year, shortly after Dallas, we're going to have our big powwow there for the national championships, and uh, that's a great opportunity for us to get together and, and you know get face to face with the licensees and get them sure. trained on you know a lot of the intricacies of the app. And there's banner packages and that type of thing. But um, yeah. you know, I think shortly after uh, Dallas, we should 
we should get it pretty stable and uh, get everybody on it, and then we'll start putting out a, a few more features on it. And, you know, people right now, if you talk to the, the licensees that do have it, and that might be a good thing is to, you know, like I said, give a couple of those licensees a call and you get a first-hand account of what their lives <laughs> and yeah. how they've changed yeah. in the last six months because there are, there's some, there's some large operators in this country that are saving, you know, substantial time and money using this very simple, cheap app. You know, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, okay. Do you have um, a website up or some a place to get information for uh, this? Yeah, there's a there is a website runoutapps.com, and uh, it has a screenshots and has a video on there, and it has some um, you know copy type on there and tells you what it's about. Uh, there's a portal on there for the licensees to go uh, activate the app. But really, if you're if you're just a player. Anybody can buy the app in the Apple Store or in the uh, Google Play for Android in 99 cents. Uh, but I think the thing that would really uh, be attractive to most players across the country is that it has a, a standalone timer and a timeout clock that is uh, customizable. You can set it between 20 seconds and 55 seconds mm, for the, cool. uh, the shot clock. Sure. And it has a standalone page. You don't have to be in tap or use it, but it's a one-touch timer, unlike like a Chrono. You know, the Chrono app is two ninety-nine. You know, and this is a this is built for pool, so you don't have to touch anything twice. You just touch it one time. So it's uh, the timer itself. The shot timer counts up and lets you reference uh, the player if he's shooting too long. So let's say you set it at thirty seconds. It just continually cycles up from one to thirty, going up. So you can see that when the ball comes to go static, you know you you pay if it's sixteen, he's got to touch the ball with the tip of his uh, cue by the time he gets to fifteen again. Sure. Now, if a player has uh, witnessed breaking time, you know several times, you can go ahead and put him on a shot clock, and you just touch it, and it puts it on a speaker, and it has a little Moscone style timer that beeps, counts down, and then it starts counting down. And uh, you, it's a one touch. So now you don't have to touch it or reset it or stop it. Now that it's in the, in the countdown mode, whenever uh, the ball goes static, you just have to touch it with your finger one time. And you do that until you're satisfied that he's back on track, and you just hold it with your finger, and you're back to the, um, the reference point going up. So that, that, you know, for 99 cents, if you uh, have any need for timing in, in your league, regardless yeah. of what type of league, because there's a lot of state-sanctioned leagues that have no corporate league around them, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a true. great tool for any league player, any pool players that, that's dealing with time. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Okay, cool. Tell, tell them the website again. Oh, uh, it's runoutapps.com. Runoutapps.com. Excellent, excellent. Yep, runoutapps.com. All and right. we have a Facebook as well. You can get on and like the Facebook, but, um, you know, we don't spend too much time on it. Facebook. I don't, <laughs> it's not, it's something to share with, with friends, but that's about it. Uh, yeah, really, go go take a look at the app, and I think the thing to do is go find a tap area. Go find a you know an area on the on tapleague.com. There's a league locator on there, and go out in the field. Go take a look at the app, and see if you like it. You know, and yeah. if you don't have tap in your area, give Sam Rulo a call. He'll he'll hook you up the league real uh, real quick. So yeah, there you go. That's what we're doing. Yeah, cool. All right, Ian. Well, thanks for coming on the show with us, dude. That's that's some some sounds like some great stuff that you guys have been working on. So. Uh, Keep up the good work. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave, for having me. It's been a pleasure, and you know, maybe you'll get a chance to make it out to our Southwest Shootout in Laughlin. We're having a, uh, a Southwest uh, Regional event down here, which is all inclusive, and it's going to be uh, yeah. twenty-five tables right on the Colorado River. Yeah, I and, think Mark uh, was telling me about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a different package here. We're gonna what this is is it's over twelve thousand in cash payout for between the two uh, events. There's a, a daytime three man event uh, that's handicap sixteen, and then there's an evening unlimited handicap tournament. And uh, okay. you get your room, you get your entry, you get the buffet pass, you get everything for less than hundred bucks a night. Uh, your own bed. Very uh, nice. They're all the all the rooms are Riverview with their balcony. Very and nice. it's a three-day package, so um, you got the team event, and that's, uh, that link should be up. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be up, and the registration page will be up, so you can go on and register your team. At, and if you're not in TAP, and you join a TAP league, and, and you can get in on it. But it's a uh, 32-man uh, board for the three-man and a 32-singles board. Uh, the singles are 100 bucks, and the, and the three-man, like I said, is all-inclusive. There's four package prices that you can pick from, so you'll go to the web page and, and sign up. But that will also be all digital using the Sportkeeper 2.0. And uh, cool. we'll be no paper, cool. and we'll be using a uh, yeah yeah a digital bracket, and yeah it's it's going to be a, a great time. You just show up, you, you know, for a hundred bucks a day and over twelve thousand for cash. But you know, I, I don't know if anything like this. We'll see if it works. I hope it does. But it's a beautiful room and uh, location. Yeah, and uh, the buffet the buffet is attached directly into the tournament room, and the rooms are right next to the uh, the whole setup, so you don't have to really nice. walk more than a hundred yards anywhere. Yeah, That's nice. Great. That's very nice. Yeah, I wish I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I could. The first thing is I would lose all my money and uh uh yeah, get in trouble with the uh with the woman, so you know. <laughs> bring her. I you know, bring her. It's on the river. There's a, there's a river walk down. I, I haven't even been to Wapham, but it's a great it's a great little uh, weekend getaway, you know. That's too funny. Yeah, I'll let her know. I'll let her know, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks again for talking with us, and uh, we'll be, uh, I'm sure we'll be getting with you, talking with you again soon. Okay. Thanks. All right. Talk to you again. Thanks, babe. All right. Take care. Hi, I'm Scott Lee. And Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. So, red light, green light, huh? We're going to discuss red light, green light. Stop or go? Stop or go. And everybody has this red light, green light concept. I'm going to talk about the first red light, green light, which happens once you're done aiming, once you've done your focus and your eye pattern, after you've done your warm-up cycle, and now it's, am I going to hit the ball in the next swing or not? And the bottom line is that there is no maybe. Either you are ready or you're not. This is the main reason why we stop our tip at the cue ball for the last time before we strike the ball. A lot of that must have to do with your PEP then, your personal eye pattern. It certainly does. How long you focus on your cue ball, how long you focus on your target will either give you a red light, green light. Is that what you're saying? And it has the. It also has a lot to do with your uh, shooting template. If you change your bridge length, if you change your cadence or your timing or the number of warm-ups you do uh, once you've trained yourself to do something a certain way, your subconscious recognizes that and will tell you, red light, don't shoot. Oh, yeah, get out of the shot. Get out of the shot. Something is wrong. Is that what it's saying? That's what Something it. is wrong. Many times, a, a lot of players will get up, do their thing, make an error, and go back to their teammate and say, I knew I was going to miss before I shot. We've all been guilty of that in some times of our life. 
and the bottom line is your friends will look at you like, well, why'd you shoot then? Well, I couldn't help myself. No green light, no red light. No green light, no red light, because there was a maybe in there. There's no maybe. Either you're ready or you're not. So that's the first red light, green light, is at the set position right before you execute. What's the second red light, green light, Randy? Our, our school likes to teach that after all is done, you've stroked the cue ball, you are in your home position, that your tip is pointing at the target, that you have a red light, green light to stand up. Physically, did I do the proper stroke? Is my cradle uh, correct? Is it in the correct position? Is my cue tip actually pointing at my target? That's, that's a green light. I like that. But then there's a mental, um, uh-oh, did I make the shot or miss the shot? And, and that comes down to either a poor alignment or poor stroke. <coughs> so um, if I miss the shot, I have to determine whether it was my stroke or my alignment, my aiming. And the red light, green light helps me do that for just a second. Um, the red light says, whoop. Uh, examine what happened. The green light says, you've done a perfect job, go shoot the next shot, or green light, continue on to your next shot. So that happens immediately once the tip strikes the ball. Yeah, I, I don't even know if the cue ball's reached the target ball yet. Probably not. You know if you made an error or not yep. by, by where your backhand is and where your tip is. And then, of course, once the cue ball either pockets or doesn't pocket the ball or whatever you're, you were trying to... Uh, and or gain position yeah, on the next shot. Then the red light, green light tells you to either examine it or, nice job, continue on. Absolutely. And, and the more green lights, the less we think, the better we play. And for most of us, we'll get down, do our process, stop at the cue ball, green light the shot, and deliver and get another green light. Yeah, well, yeah. Nine out of 10 shots should yeah. all be green lights. Absolutely. That's a great tip. Uh, this is Scott Lee. Brandy G. And you've been listening to the One Minute Pool Instructor. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And t today we're going to do, to switch things up just a little bit. On the forums and websites, etc., we always hear about why is pool not as popular as it should be. And there's comparisons with golf and the NFL and some of that's a little bit ridiculous. And so what I wanted to do is talk to somebody who was also involved in a niche sport and see what the differences are. And also somebody who is not involved in the game of pool. Now, we've all got friends who are not involved in pool that you can ask a question to, but they're not all involved in a, a sport that is not on the map like PGA, NFL, and so on. So... The gentleman I have on the line with me, his name is Bruce St. James. He hosts a radio show here in Phoenix, Arizona on KTAR, uh, KTAR, and uh, it runs from 9 till noon with uh, a lady named Pamela 
Hughes. And it's a news talk radio show. But he's also one of the top sprint car drivers in the country, I believe. And I, I could be wrong on that. Bruce and James, how are you doing, Bruce? I'm doing great, Mark. That's a heck of a build-up. I like that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you around with me more often and just introduce <laughs> you when I walk into rooms. <laughs> you know what? I do my best to try and pump you up since I can't pay your your normal fee. So I appreciate it. So here's here's the thing. We the, the pool of the am I correct and. When I say sprint car racing, is mm-hmm. there a more technical term for it? Or? No, that's exactly a dirt track sprint car racing, a grassroots, um, entry level, call it a variety of different things. But yeah, it is a you know it's a professional sport. We ra- we race for money, not just trophies. And uh, uh, there are different series and leagues and um, divisions around the country and uh, around the world. Well, that, you see, I've I've been, and here's the immediate difference that I have seen. Mm-hmm. With between you know coming, I've watched you race, and and I've I've seen you you know crash your car quite a bit. <laughs> but I'm, I'll, I'll just I'll leave that to one side for now. Thanks. <laughs> and on a Saturday evening in a little town called Queen Creek, Arizona, there are maybe three thousand, two to three thousand fans mm-hmm. who show yeah. up. To, to watch, and they're enthusiastic. Sure. Watching sprint cars, watching the dirt track races, to me, is not a comfortable situation. I'd, I'd much rather be sat in a bar with a hamburger and a beer, <laughs> inside, away from the elements, mm-hmm. watching pool. Now, right. and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, believe me. The reason I say that is, I've promoted uh, many events with world champion, the Hall of Fame pool players. And we've never had a thousand people show up. Mm-hmm. And and you can get people to sit in the elements where it, you can have a dust storm come through, you can have the monsoon come through, you've got dirt coming up from the track, sure. from the cars that hit you in the face, there's dust everywhere. What do you think is the difference between... Your niche sport, you call it a niche sport, and and our niche sport. But, you know, all the things you just described as potentially downside things, I might argue could be turned into positive from the standpoint of, I I get the sense, and believe me, I've attended plenty of races on Saturday nights and sat in the grandstands as, as well as been a competitor, that there is something very visceral about it. You feel the sport. Uh... The, the sound, the smell, the dirt flying through the air, uh, people that are there, uh, they are connected to it in some way, shape, or form. There's a, there's a measure of pride, and you've seen this with the people that sit down close and have to duck and cover the top of their beer to keep dirt from going in it. They feel a, a part of this, if you will. Um, I, 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 I can see similarities, and then I can see the differences as well. Obviously, I think... Um, for what we do and for the racing we do, there's a thrill element that I think you'd have a hard time matching in the game of pool. I certainly can't argue that there isn't a skill, and the the people that play pool at a world-class level have a very unique, specialized skill, just like people that race cars at a high level have a unique, specialized skill. I just don't know if if you get the same sense of thrill uh, 
and maybe it's the danger element, Mark. You know, I mean, you know, I think there's plenty of people that also, uh, when you think about some of these sports and racing specifically, or motorcycles, motocross, things like that, the crashes, the chance that somebody could be hurt at any moment is a part of it. And barring a very bizarre, unforeseen pool injury, you're not going to see something like that at a in a bar at watching pool. <laughs> well, I've been to some places. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you I, understand I, what I mean by that. There's, a, yeah, there's I mean, an it, element of danger, I, I would say, that uh, that might be a draw in, in our sport and in some other sports that maybe doesn't exist in the game of pool. Right, and, and, I, and I agree with you. It's the train wreck scenario, I, sure. I guess, is what I can point to. Um now, you've played pool, everybody's played pool, and this is what is the confusing part of, you know, and, and pool has been televised. It's on oh, TV, yeah. it's, not, it's not on as much. Um, now, NASCAR is. So, is there a connection between the NASCAR fans and the dirt track fans? You bet there are. Uh, you bet there is. And what we do is, in some way, shape, or form, a, the, a lower division of NASCAR, you can almost look at it. And in fact, many of the big NASCAR drivers started off racing at a small dirt track on a Saturday night somewhere around the country. So there's there's a connection in some sort that the fans and the drivers understand. And if you like racing, um, there's a bunch of different forms and styles of racing that you have at least an appreciation for. And I don't know if pool has that, um, you want to call it ladder system or that kind of a network um, where you're, you're developing the young stars and bringing them up and people can follow them and cheer from them as they go from the lower division to the upper division. Um, that exists inside racing and, and we follow young drivers and, and wait for them to get to the top levels and be champions. And there's a, um, an element of fandom that comes into that. Right. And I think that, you know, I, I think things are moving in that direction mm-hmm. with, with pool millions. But, you know, having said that, I, you know, and, and these are all things that are said consistently. And to the listeners that are out there, I, I, this conversation has not been rehearsed nope. in, in any way other than knowing the concept of giving us an outsider's view. So not everything you hear is is going to be hunky-dory, and I try my best not to be negative. But, <laughs> the, but, but the, the conversation comes up. And so let's, you know, just kind of see what it is. What is the, the major differences? Have you, let me ask you this. Have you ever mm-hmm. watched Pool and Billy's on TV? I, I've seen it. I, I can't say that I've made, like, an appointment to sit down and watch it. I certainly am aware um, ESPN, for example, has, has shown uh, uh, different uh, times they have, used to have shows, both men and women, and, and I've seen it, and I'm aware that it exists. I'm aware that this goes on. But I can't tell you that I was like, "Ooh, I better hurry up and sit down." Uh, pool is going to be on TV next. I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to you and say that. No, wait, and what? See, that's the thing. It's another part of it. And do you know what my theory is okay. on it? Is if you do happen to be changing channels, it's a Saturday afternoon, and uh, the Challenger Champions happens to be on one of the channels. And you, you get, you go, oh, well, you know, there's nothing really on. Let me watch it a little bit. Is it boring? Because you've got a professional pool play. Now, to, to the pool fan, like, like myself and many others that are out there, 
if a guy makes a ball in the corner pocket, okay, <laughs> it's an easy ball, and then the cue ball comes back up the table off of two rails, and it's on for another, the next ball in the other in the top corner pocket. I know, and the other people know, how much skill went into that shot exactly. to get that ball. Because there's a thing called squirt, which you probably don't know about. So when you put no. uh, too much English, <laughs> it's too much English on the cue ball, or you put a, a lot of English on the cue ball, the cue ball naturally swerves on its own before it meets that next ball. Sure. Which means you've got to adjust for that. And then adjust for it coming around the table. So we can appreciate the finesse and the skill of the shot. And somebody who's 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 looking three moves ahead, you know that type of thing. And is where where is it going to end up? Yeah, and right and to I, you. I one of your your challenges is is again, most people don't see that. Most people don't know that. And in this day and age, how much of an opportunity do you have to educate the average um, uh, either play, even even a, a somebody who just plays pool at a the local bar every once in a while? Uh, how 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 can you educate them to the level of skill? Let, let me use an example. I want to I throw something back to you. I would bet you more people are more familiar with and can tell you that they've watched like the the trick shot artists. You know, some mm-hmm. of the people that do that do some of the the crazy things with uh, uh, you know either with cues or with balls on a table, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Because I think they look at that. And it's obvious the level of skill that goes into that. You know, it's obvious, like, how did he get the ball to jump over that and do that? That's amazing. But just a regular, you know, like you said, a ball in the corner pocket and the, and the cue ball comes back, I would look at it and go, well, yeah, he's supposed to do that, for God's sake. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I every probably do that if he gave me a chance, you know. Every, that's the thing. Every shot appears to be easy. Yeah. Every it's shot appears to be easy, isn't it? You watch yeah. PGA golf and you're like, how hard can that be? And then you go out and hit a golf ball. You're like, oh my goodness, that's hard. It's harder than I thought. Right. A lot and, and, you know, watching uh, maybe you racing, mm-hmm. all you're doing is, you, you're, okay, so what do you do? You turn left. You yeah, turn the car, you turn the corner. I, I do it every day, my car. I, yeah, I turn left 20. Now, I, I, do, I do think another difference, so, you know, when you compare and contrast, I, I get a sense. And, and I'm not trying to offend. You know that, right? We're, we're talking. I just, I'm not, so I, if I say something that is some holy grail of pool, you're going to let me know. That it comes across to me more of a participant sport than a spectator sport. I don't think you're alone. I, 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 would, I think bowling is along the same lines. I think everybody's bowled at some point, but not everybody sits down and watches bowling on TV. They enjoy participating in it. But um, they would not watch somebody else do it. Does that make sense? And I think I think that the, when you talk about the really big sports out there and, and the ones that drive big TV ratings and things, they're not things that a lot of us do on our own. <laughs> the, you know, I cannot play in the NFL, so I watch NFL games. You know, but I have absolutely no idea what that's like. You know, there's no amount of two hand touch you can play in the backyard that compares to the NFL. And I think racing is a certain extent for that for some people. Sure, they know what it's like driving up and down the freeway, but they watch a race on a Saturday night or they watch a NASCAR on TV and they go, well, I don't know what it's like to drive 200 miles an hour, you know, five feet away or five inches away from another guy. That's a completely different experience and something they don't understand. Explain this to me then. Okay. Young fella, my lad. Oh, boy. German fella. Yeah. You got some German in you, don't you? I do. We got some fabulous German pool players. 
Yeah. Ralph and Kate, Dawson Holland, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're seeing the, the 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 interaction that you have with the being at the track, the danger, mm-hmm. etc. Do you know? Do you want me to name a couple of sports that beat not only pool but racing into the ground? Well, your kind of racing, not NASCAR, oh. into the ground. Do you know how many people showed up to watch the cup stacking contest? <laughs> no. Four thousand. Right. Right. How many people well, showed up to the spelling bee? Yeah. Come on. I mean, well, but, but, the but, hot dog eating contest, Bruce. Hot dog eating. Yeah, there's a ton of people. But Mark, you know what? You know what? You just described all those things you just described. They're events. Those are events. They're not games. They're not matches. They are events. They're things that people want to be a part of. They're things. I, I use I use a little bit of golf, for example. We both live here in in Phoenix. We have a golf tournament here that is an event. It's the it's the highest attended golf tournament in the United States. Is the is the Phoenix Open here, and it has nothing to do with golf. It has concerts. It has uh, a large bar area. People go there to be seen. They dress up. And oh, by the way, there happens to be a golf tournament going on, which I guarantee you, seventy five percent of the people have absolutely no idea the difference between a birdie and an eagle, nor do they watch it. So when you can create an event. Um, you've transcended your individual sport. And I would argue, yeah, the hot dog eating contest, which I know they consider it a sport. I don't think anybody else does other than those people. But, yeah, the big contest, it's an event. It, it becomes something like that. And, and I think the challenge for any sport out there is how do you take your sport and make an event, a must-see, must-attend, you got to be there event. I saw something weird, and I don't know if you, you're how aware you are of this, about darts, competitive dart playing overseas in in Europe, and how they've turned dart tournaments into these raucous affairs with you know six ten thousand people in an arena cheering dart players. I'd never even heard of anything so crazy in my life until I saw it, and I go, "Well, they they made an event out of this. It's a bunch of guys." And, Dallas and, has yeah. always been big. Dallas has always been big in Europe, very big yeah. ever since I was a kid, For the and time then. Here. Well, you know, it's not here, and and, right. and that's the thing. I, I, I'm not sure exactly why, but the guy who took over Darts is a guy named Barry Hearn, mm-hmm. okay? He's the owner of and chairman of Matchroom Sports. Matchroom Sports produce more niche events, televised mm-hmm. niche events, around the world than anybody else. And more events that do they're into the boxing, They've got the uh, Fisher Mania event mm-hmm. that draws thousands of people fishing. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they do boxing and, and, and pool and snooker, and, they, and he took over the darts. And he has that same mentality of do something that I want to do. What would I want to do as a, a regular guy? Go have some right. good food, a couple of beers, get entertained by top quality you know, sportsmen, mm-hmm. and, but, now, I'm going with this, is because Matchroom Sports also produced the biggest event in pool in the world, mm. and it, it's called the Moscone Cup, and the Moscone Cup, there was a gentleman, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, maybe, uh, named Willie Moscone, I and know he was the very name. famous. Familiar with the name. Very famous legend in the sport, 
Yeah. And and so the name the and it's Europe versus um, the USA, and it's a team challenge. Mm-hmm. It's broadcast live all over Europe and Asia. Then it gets sold here to Fox Sports Net, and they broadcast it here uh, just like five to six months after the event. But what you're saying is correct. The but the money. But Barry Hearn and Metrum Sports are fortunate. They've got their hand on certain sponsors. It's uh, Poker, dot net, and Sky Sports who help them with that eight hundred to a million dollar production to broadcast Mm -hmm. it live and make the event what it is. On if we said let's do a sprint car thing on TV, Mm -hmm. and we're going to produce it like a top quality. NASCAR deal. Somebody's got to pay for it. <laughs> Somebody's going to pay for it. Oh, now, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, and we can have those every once in a while. Every once in a while. Who's paying for it? You know, that, that's, and that's the thing. And you've got to gain that popularity. You know, I always say, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, right. Jack Daniels are not going to pay a million dollar sponsorship for an event for us until they can see that there is going to be right. eyeballs on that product. Well, and, and so, and so it, it, you know, it seems like, you know, if you're looking at the challenge of pool, it's who is that visionary going to be? Who Who is the person out there who sees the potential and the opportunity and can grow it and can bet on its future as opposed to I need an immediate return on my investment and I need, uh, you know, 10,000 people in the stadium or a million eyeballs on TV because it's really tough to start with that. You, you grow something and you build it. And if you look at all these other sports that we just mentioned that have created these events or must-see or must-go-to type things, it didn't start that way on year one. You know, it didn't start that way. And I, I, listen, I'm not smart enough to tell you how to do it, but I've, I've, I see what the successful ones look like and I can look back. Right. And, and again, it's, it, it goes, it, it just, you, you can go around in circles with it. And again, the, the the people's attention going going back just a, a second to what we're saying on Jack Daniels or whoever you want to mention as a sponsor are not going to sponsor unless they think their eyeballs are there and they see the vision. But you know, if I, if you call, I'll give I'll give you a quick example. Or I'll try and make it try and make it quick example. <laughs> I contacted the people at Jack Daniels to sponsor a, a pro tour and for pool and billiards. It's not actually Jack Daniels. It's a parent company, but you, know, you, you get my drift. Right. Because Jack, Jack Daniels, if you look up Jack Daniels' pool and billiards on the internet, images, there's girls on pool tables, there's Jack Daniels on pool tables, there's Jack Daniels pool tables, there's Jack Daniels It, fit, it fits with their brand. It fits with it, their image. It fits with it. So... I there's so many gatekeepers who are there sure. to prevent people like me from wasting higher up people's time pitching something that is eventually not going to work. And I've got through so many of the gates, and they said, "This sounds good. It's right in our, you know, right in our track here. We need something that we'd be interested in. Get to the next person. This is looking good. How much do you need? I need three million dollars." And that's for a, that's paying for ESPN to televise it, right? Because they charge. Which I think most people don't know that a lot of these sports 
paid to be on TV. They're not being paid to be on TV. Yeah, especially on right. the, yeah, the, the the weekend productions and some of the late night stuff. They're just buying airtime to play their sport. Yeah, so we you know so we we get to, I get through these roadblocks, these gatekeepers, and I'm right down to the guy who is right before the guy who can write a check. Okay. And he says to me, well, how many people are at the biggest event that Paul has? How many are at the event? Well, I've got to say, at the event is maybe the U.S. Open or the Moscone Cup, and we're looking at 1,000 to 2,000. Mm-hmm. How many people are watching via the Internet on streams? I've got to be honest, I, I fabricated to try and make it sound, because when he's asking me these questions, I know where he's going. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do my best to embellish, the, the embroider the truth, should we say. So there's probably about 10,000 people watching mm-hmm. via the Internet. I'm not even sure if that's the truth. And he said, okay, and you want, what, about 4 million to right. 3, 4 million? I, yeah. He said, do you know I can put a, just a picture of a bottle of Jack Daniels on a billboard on the side of Highway 50 in Sacramento, California, and get 250,000 people a week seeing it. Right. And it's going to cost me about 15,000. They're all looking for value. Listen, those the, the guys who do marketing and promotions and run big companies could get there by throwing money away. <laughs> you know, they're looking for uh, what's the cost to get in front of eyeballs. And again, you know, we get back to, Mark, that, that – you know they're willing to pay a premium for really unique events, but if you're just trying to, uh, um, in the game of, of, of pool, if it's if it's just eyeballs on something, you know you're going to have to be competitive with everything else out there, and that's that's a race to the bottom. That's a tough deal. Yeah, is 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 what you saw. Is, that's a is, tough is, deal. Is, well, but it's is, a goal, and you know, and, and you you obviously know the pool industry, and I'm I'm I don't I'm, I'm learning through this and everything else is is. Is the goal to make more money for the pool players? Is the goal to get more spons- uh, more uh, viewers to watch in person or on on uh, uh, on television? You know, it's like um, it's always best. And again, this is why if you look at some of the big sports, they all got to where they were because usually there was a dictator involved. They didn't uh, they didn't vote. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Somebody had a vision and just pushed it through. I, I, wrestling is a great example. You know, you t- it took a Vince McMahon type character, uh, the UFC. It took a Dana White type character to get it where it is today. They weren't going to vote. They weren't going to go around. They didn't. They didn't poll everybody and ask. They had one guy that said, "Here's what we're going to do. Here's how I'm going to make it big. You're either with me or against me." And you know, it, it may not be as popular, at least when you you think about it. But if if you want to bet on somebody and take that ride, um, those are the ones that have made it to the top. Those are, those are, when I look at all these big events and big sports, usually I can tell you there's one person that just had a vision. And uh, if, you're, if you're saying in the world of pool that we want to grow it like that, I'm, who's the one person that has the vision? Who's the larger-than-life personality that can just push it through and get it to the level that you, you guys all think it needs to be at? It, it's, it's, it's a great like a motivational speaker. I'm like a motivational speaker today. Are you, are you getting pumped up yet, Mark? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I, I like to play devil's advocate a lot, and I don't, I, honestly, I don't try to be negative. Yeah. I agree with everything you've said, 
But on an ins- from an insider's point of view, there you, you won't believe you won't believe how much politics is involved mm-hmm. in this sport. Different promoters, players. No, nobody really. It, it seems like people don't want to get along. And if this guy's in charge, I'm not going to be part of it, which will screw everything up. And. I, you know, and that's where he's got to go. I mean, he's got to grow from. What well, we I just, think you can you, you can you learn. Said. You can look and learn at, at, at what some other sports out there that are either trying to do what you're doing or struggling. I know the sport of golf is really struggling right now. Golf courses are closing. Fewer people are playing. TV numbers have fallen off the page because Tiger Woods isn't playing. Uh, the, the casual fan doesn't pay attention. And uh, there are groups of people out there right now trying to reinvent the game of golf for a new audience. They, they've acknowledged that maybe 18 holes and as hard as the game is and the, the barrier to entry and the cost might be too much. And if they want to grow the sport and be relevant uh, for the next 100 years, they need to make some dramatic changes. I, I saw one, uh, they have a bigger hole, 18-inch hole instead of this little bitty hole. And so you can get the ball in easier and shorter courses and all these different things that they're trying to do to have so golf is relevant to the next generation. And my guess is the game of pool, like so many others, how do you stay relevant to that 18, we, 20, 25-year-old person? Uh, and we're going we're to go back, Bruce. We're going to go back to where we we're basically where we started. Because, and, and this is why, and, I, and I'll tell you, and I'm, mm-hmm. I hate, just hate being so negative on it, but mm-hmm. it's good to have your point of view because you point out some really obvious and good things to somebody who doesn't know anything and, but doesn't know anything about pool. But you've ran major radio stations in LA and you've done a lot of things so you, your input is is great to me now getting the youth involved mm-hmm. you've got nieces and nephews and you've got uh, got children that you are very close to mm-hmm. if they came to you and said I really like this game of pool I think I'm not going to go to college or university. I'm not going to try and learn a skill. I'm going to learn pool. And I'm, I think I'd like to be a professional pool player. The problem is you have to be in the top 1%, 5% to make 100000 a year. Right. It's a way to spend money. It's not a way to make money. <laughs> right. So... Yeah. Who who is gonna now? This is the reason why golf, football, baseball does better, in my opinion, is you know parents sometimes live vicariously through their oh, children, sure. and they look and say, okay, you you do have a, a a gift, you have a talent. You're seven years old and you can throw a football seventy yards and hit a bullseye. You have a talent that will make you millions of dollars, more than any job you're going to probably get going to college, even as a doctor or a lawyer. Now, why would you advise them to take up a career that is, is or encourage a career that is, is going to make them 50000 a year as a, for... You know, twenty years, and then you, and you've got to hustle for that fifty thousand. But you know, that, you know, Mark, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on this. I'm going to challenge you and say, you know what? If I, I want you here for that, if I remove the word pool, and uh, let's say ten years ago, and I take the word pool out and I put skateboarding in there instead, 
you could make the same argument. What do you mean you're going to be a professional skateboarder? You're going to starve to death. And guess what? They've managed to create something. They've managed to tap into a, a passion amongst kids. They've got skate parks. They're on television. They're at the X Games. They've got entire clothing lines, skate decks, all these things around it. So, again, I'm not saying it can't happen. But I, I, I'm saying that, that I, I, if I knew how to do this all the time, I'd have a different company and I'd be flying around in a private jet if I knew how to magically make this happen, if you will. But I know all the barriers. I know all the reasons it can't be done. It just takes somebody to push it through. I don't know how you reinvent pool. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you reinvent it to get young people, middle-aged people, old people excited about pool again. I mean, I grew up in a time. When a lot of my friends, and we had at one time, had pool tables in their houses. I can't tell you last time I saw a pool table in a house. You know, uh, I just don't see them anymore. And I remember my the neighbors had one. We had one in the basement for a while. We had pool tables. It's you know, it's one of the things you did. Um, I don't know if it's inputting and 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 combining it with technology, video games. Uh, you know interactive thing. I I don't know, but I know that those are the types of things and that's where the, this generation's headed and they're moving away from some more of the traditional things. So the, the sports and the the events that have been successful and are growing and are attracting younger people have changed with the audience. They aren't set in their ways and this is the way we did it 100 years ago and this is the way we're going to do it today. I don't think there's any successful sport out there that can say that. Yeah, but well, you that I think you know, not just the financial side of things, but the generational mm-hmm. gap that I used to go play snooker all the time, sure. which is, is another form of pool for very like British. You that don't know, very <laughs> British, isn't it? Snooker is very British, and that's what I used to love to do. However, I didn't have the option of sitting at home and playing. Right, Solcom on PlayStation, <laughs> or, or on your phone, <laughs> yeah, or on my, uh, yeah. So I never, I, I never had those options where I, you really just don't. I think you talked about this a little bit in your show today, uh, on, on the radio, where kids are just so involved in their technology and the phones and things that they don't actually talk to anybody anymore. Yeah. And and if that's the case, you don't have to go socialize. I don't have to go down. I used to walk in the store for like two miles to go play snooker. You know, <laughs> you know, with my with my snooker cue because that was my entertainment. I didn't have right. the other stuff. So maybe that's part of. Uh, well, you know, every, every sport is growing. Like that. You, yeah, you, you, your sport, your passion is hardly the only one. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there's tons of them out there. That are that are struggling with that, but again, I I get back to you see um, sports that have learned to evolve, change, and adapt to the changing consumer. Um, you can you can say this is the way we've always done it, but um, you 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 might die with your audience. You know, if you're not bringing new people in, you're gonna have to find ways to innovate. And you know, if I'm believe me in in my sport, you know, you talk about what I do in racing. We're always looking at, we're always challenging. How do we get young people involved? How do we keep them engaged? How do we get young spectators? How do we how do we market and sell that this is a this is a really extreme sport? You know that that in this, this day and age of X Games type things, we do that every single weekend. Have you seen these races? It's absolutely crazy uh, that somebody would go out and do this.
this, and these cars can flip and fly through the air and come bouncing out of them, you know, that how are we marketing and selling ourselves to a younger generation? So everybody has that challenge. Everybody has that challenge. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And, and you, you probably think in, during this conversation, I think you've brought up some points that are not new. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that yeah, but it's good to hear it from somebody else. Who's not well, I think a, a, a lot of it's obvious, but when you're really, really in the middle of it and you're really passionate about something, you sometimes miss some of the obvious. You know, you, the old line, you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, that you're you're just too close to it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I still believe it boils down to the, the money and getting somebody to believe in mm-hmm. the sport enough that will unify... The, the promoters, the players, etc., to, to be able to to make it work, and then and then bring it in a, a younger group because once the potential money is there, that a pool player can make five million, two million a year from doing something that they enjoy. Now it becomes something of a viable career because. You know what people say to me when they they would ask me, you know, well, what do you do? Well, I I kind of I'm like a sports agent for professional pool players, and I promote challenge matches and events and tours. And you go, oh, so you're a hustler? <laughs> That's the first thing that comes out of their minds. You're a pool shark. You're a hustler. Yeah. There's a negative connotation to do mm. it. So. Well, how did cards get away from that? Look at look at poker. For goodness' sake, so, I know. know how, how did how did poker go from being a, a, something very similar, something you used to play? Everybody's played cards in their life, played a played a hand of poker to going to be a spectator sport with all that. You know, personalities are a big part of it. They started marketing individuals and personalities, and they had right. stars. Um, I would argue. I mentioned it earlier. You know, Tiger Wolf, uh, Tiger Woods did more for golf than any human alive. There is there is no argument about it that people came to care about the sport because of the personality, not the other way around. And they still may not have a very good appreciation for it. Michael Jordan brought people to basketball that don't know how much a three point, where the three-point line is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you can find those those transcendent personalities, they make your sport cool. They make people pay attention to it. And then they make other people say, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that girl. I want to go down the path they went down. Look at all the young people that started playing golf. Look at all the people that play poker now online or in tournaments at places. You can, you can see, again, how this built from the ground up. And when you look at some of these things that you mentioned, for the poker as an example, Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't have the vision that some other geniuses have, but if you'd bolt Barry Hearn with the fishing, if you'd have said to me, I need you to invest, as an investor, I need you to invest $3 million into this project. It's a long-term project, but we're going to have Fishermania, and we're going to hold a fishing contest. And thousands of people are going to show up, and it's going to be televised for five hours on live TV. Or we're going to have a bunch of guys playing poker. You go, all right. How exciting is this going to be for the for the general public? 
and they've figured out a way to make polka, which, to I mean, it's, they've figured out how to do it, to make it exciting. You can see the players' cards, which is, to right. me, was Check the... Out. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you got the, uh, the Fishermania. There's people fishing, and who can catch the, mo- the, the most amount, heaviest amount of fish in, right. in so, mu- so much time. And that's the guy, Barry Hearn. I'm telling you, I'm a strong believer in this guy. <laughs> he, and he used to do what you're talking about as well, because he brought snooker into the forefront. He was always pop- very popular, but he brought it in the forefront. But he managed a number of players, and he made each of them a character. Yeah. And the thing, I think it's called When Snooker Ruled the World. Uh, <laughs> it's a 12-part series on about the 80s. Uh, and it's... They've got an Italian guy that says, okay, you're an Italian, so you cry a lot. Okay, you're <laughs> real plain, so you, you, you just drink water. Play your role. This is your little bit, your entertainers, for goodness sake. you got to act it up a little. Listen, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The, the formula is out there. You can watch and see how other people have done it. It's uh, it's the actual doing it that's the hard part. But the, the roadmap, to me, seems rather simple for a lot. Not just your sport, but ours as well. Right. Well, Bruce, I, I really appreciate your time. And, I, hope uh, I hope I brought something to the discussion, for goodness sake. Well, y- y- you have. You have, and in a way you haven't, and don't take that as an insult. No. You haven't, you haven't. You're, you're saying basically what the pool and billiard aficionados are saying as well. And it's the same. It, it just reoccurs. It comes down to the same problem of how to do it and somebody to do it. And and so, you know, I I appreciate your input and I I do appreciate your time. And if uh, anybody thought it was annoying, I'm sure you can contact (laughs) (laughs) KCAR. If you get get those emails, don't you worry, Mark. I get plenty of them. If you you ever get a chance, uh, listen to KCAR 93.5. 92.3 FM, and uh, I, I I listen to the show every day. So it's a news talk radio show, and they, they they say that piece about each you know <laughs> what, what's the thing you, you, modern day topics, and they try and make sense of what the modern day uh, the day's news is. We and, do try, and that's not always easy, is it? I mean, no, you, it's you, not. You, you're going in a little bit blindfolded, so it's 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 a great show. I listen to it. If you get a chance, listening to it too. Uh, the supporters of Neil's Garage Cabinets who sponsor mm-hmm. this show. I, I'm not allowed to, you know, um, r- really say too, too too much about KTR or or, or anything else, but <laughs> they, they 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 support us, and uh, we we definitely support them. Well, Thank Bruce, you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you to ask. Bruce, thanks a lot, man. I will speak to you again real soon. Yes, sir. Take care. Well, that's it. Uh, American Billion Radio, Legends and Champions Report. Bruce St. James, he uh, he's a good guy. Outspoken, says his mind, says what's on his mind. And I, I, I don't think he really insulted any of us. I, I was expecting that there's a potential he may have something to say that would, you know, kind of insult the industry, in the, so to speak. But he really hasn't. All he's done is told us what we already know. So 
let's take it on board. Let's find who is the next leader. Who's going to be the one who takes the initiative and their pocketbook and the risk and says, let's do this, and and have some organization, organization behind it. So until next week, thank you all very much. Thanks, Bruce St. James, and we will see you next week. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host, Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com, and I'd like to welcome my co-host, Jerry T. How are you doing today, JT? What's up, Allison? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for having me, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to this, uh, this conversation. Awesome. Well, we're here wrapping up the month of August, which has been a really big month in pool here in New York, and... Of course, we uh, we got things started out with a month uh, at Steinway Billiards with the Steinway Classic, mm-hmm. which is in Astoria, New York. And of course, over the last couple of years, Steinway has been uh, doing a lot of unique and fun events, and they've been hosting a lot of tour stops in the New York area. And this event, the Steinway Classic, was part of the Predator Pro-Am Tour run by Tony Robles, and this was the third annual event. How was uh, your overall experience, JT, at the Steinway Classic? Yeah, you know, the Steinway Classic was was really awesome. Uh, in my opinion, the Steinway Classic brought the top, I mean, the best talent that I've seen actually come through New York all at one time. In my opinion, and that's a pretty big statement, I think that New York hosted a lineup of talent that was historic for, for New York. Because, you know, you had the World Tournament coming up, and uh, the Steinway Classic ended up really having a feel um, like a big, to- like a pro event. You had killers like Dennis Hatch, Johnny Archer, I mean, legends like, like Dennis Hatch, who was a Moscone Cup MVP, who, you know, America really got behind um, when America was playing Europe in the Moscone Cup. And you had, you know, like legendary uh, player of the decade, Johnny Archer. And a lot of really strong legendary players, as well as um, really strong up-and-coming players. Players that really haven't been around New York, like Justin Bergman, and you know a lot of other players as well. I mean, yeah, we, 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 had co- we had coverage of the event, and we broke down basically all the different players that came through. But um, overall, and with Jeanette Lee also came through, Jeanette which was big. Played. Yeah, so the Steinway Classic was awesome because it had a mix of legendary talent that historic legendary talent and uh you know the trip the trip what we're doing is we're really keeping the traditions and the history of pool alive by having these great events that attract some of the legends so by them still coming out to support and be a part of some of the most exciting events that are out right now it's giving us a narrative and helping us remember the history and the people that have really broken the ground before us. And that's really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Tony and his wife Gail have been really great leaders along with the tournament director, William Finnegan, for really reviving pool in New York with the Predator Tour starting in 2008. 
and just really adding a lot more value, continued value, along with the existing tours like the Tri-State Tour um, and just offering a wider, wider range of events. And we actually had a pretty fun thing happen at that, at that event. We had Warren Kiamko went undefeated and the first person he beat in that tournament was Dennis Hatch. And Dennis Hatch came all the way through the one-loss bracket to play Warren again in the final. Yeah. That was wild. Yeah. yeah. Dennis actually mentioned to me that, um, like, in, in the middle of the tournament, he and he mentioned to me that, um, you know, don't count me out right now. I'm just getting warmed up. I'm, you know, I feel, I feel strong right now. And as the tournament progressed, he kept, like, looking at me. And he's like showing me that he was fighting, you know, he had that heart. And I was, yeah. I was pulling for him. I, I was pulling for him at the event. You know, because the reality is you don't have to be 18, 19, 20 to play great pool. You can be in your 40s and play world-class pool. So, yeah. you know, I'm pulling for, for the legends like, you know, Dennis Hatch and Johnny Archer and I coming through. I love when they're coming through with a lot of heart and everything. And basically what I'm saying is as the tournament progressed and now... Dennis knew he was playing Warren in the finals. He was JT. I've been fighting all the way through. And now, look, I have an opportunity to knock out the person that knocked me out in the very beginning. Yeah. And I said, that would be sweet. Like, uh, not revenge. I forgot how he put it. But basically, that would have been an extra sweet win for him to come. You know, to, that would be a nice capper. I don't know exactly how he said it. But that that I was thinking of that throughout that whole match. Right. And overall, um, it was just a great match. It was a great match. If you're a pool fan, um, you know you 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 certainly enjoyed it if you were there or you were watching. So yeah, I mean overall the Steinway Classic was awesome, and you know Steinway Steinway Billiards in the store in New York is a really great pool room. They have a uh, you know really really good feel, com comfortable feel. It's like if you're a pool player traveling, you know they do a good job of making players feel feel at home, like a home away from home in that regard. And they, they rolled right. out the red carpet for a lot of players. And uh, kudos goes out to you know, Manny and staff and Finnegan for, for running the tournament. And, uh, of course, um, his work on an ongoing basis with helping Tony with the Predator Tour. And I'm excited about this weekend, which is coming up right now. I mean, the World Straight Pool, I'd like to be able to touch on that uh, as well, especially with the Hall of Fame and all that. But right now, let's just talk about the Eastern uh, Eastern States, excuse me, the Eastern States Nine Ball Championships, and it's going to be held at Snooker's in Rhode Island. So let's talk about that, Allison, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this has been an exciting event that we heard about when they first announced the season, uh, the season for the Predator Tour. But this event will not just include the Predator Tour; it will also be a collaboration with uh, the Ride the Nine Tour founded by Gloria Jean, and also Mark Dion's New England uh, Nine Ball Series. So a lot of players from all three tours will be there, and it will be a three-day event all through the Labor Day weekend. So there are actually going to be separate amateur and pro division, which is different from how they originally ran the Eastern State championship because this was an event that uh, started in the 60s and I believe went through the 80s and possibly the early 90s that had a lot of 
major champions as uh, as winners. You had Steve Miserac in 1980, Ray Martin in 1969, Alan Hopkins in 1987, and uh, Earl Strickland, Joe Frady, and Mike Zuglin, founder of the Joss Tour. So just, those are just a few of the names who were dominant in that event. So basically, the Predator Tour and Mark Dion's Tour and Gloria Jean's Tour are all teaming up to revive this great historic event and bring, uh, bring it back to life. I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Um, just to see people collaborating, you know, the right people. You know, each one of these tours are exciting and they bring, they bring pool players in the pool rooms. Uh, they keep pool alive. They give local players an opportunity to, you know, compete uh, and test their game against local players. And for them, you know, for the three of these tours to team up uh, and create something that would be better than um, any one of these three if they were to create something on their own. You know, this, this event with the collaboration of these three people, the result of it is going to be better than, you know, if Tony tried to do his own thing or Mark Dion, um, etc. So it's awesome that there are more and more people in the industry looking to team up and collaborate and uh, get creative with joint venture partnerships and look to uh, team up and provide, uh, you know, individual insights into a collective conversation and bounce ideas off each other and, you know, make sure that we're looking to constantly raise the bar. So if one of us has a better idea to improve the experience, of course, you know, with that open-minded, uh, you know, paradigm, I believe that that's going to create a better experience for the pool players, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think you bring about a really good point. It's you know kind of old adage that uh, together you're you know you're greater than the sum of your parts. So if if one of these tours was just to try to revive this on their own, you you know you wouldn't have the pull to bring as many players and to have as uh, have as good of resources to make it happen. Yeah, and. Um, we're also going to be doing a free live stream with AZBTV. NYC Grind is co-producing it along with UpCL and AZBTV, as well as the Predator Pro-Am Tour. They're co-sponsoring the live stream. So that's going to be free, and that will be found on the Snookers live stream Ustream page. So the easiest way to find it, you can just Google search snookers live stream and it'll be the top results so it's e very easy to find that way right and uh, nycgrind.com will also embed the video and post an article that will showcase uh, you know the video box that will will have the live stream so before Absolutely. the event right before the event will get you know actually starts you'll be able to find that live stream on nycgrind.com so you can also go to nycgrind.com and check it out and of course um, it's a co-production with AZB TV so uh, a big shout out to uh, Upstate Al and, uh, and Joe who also helps out and I'm uh, looking forward to it you're looking forward to it and, and that's a perfect example of collaboration that's what we're doing 
we're looking to team up with other like-minded people who are um, really passionate about the sport and really can make a contribution, you know, know the players and have that connection with players. So every time we team up with up Upstate Al, it's always fun. And um, I'm a big fan of, of teaming up with the right people. And we also have a lot of really exciting things that we're working on. And we're working on other uh, joint venture partnerships and collaborations, which we're very excited about. But we're not ready to release any news right now because things are still um, being thought through so that we can make the most impact. But we're looking to uh, team up to provide more exposure for the sport and bring great content to, uh, to, to not only the pool world, but anyone who has an interest or can have an appreciation. And it's as simple as, uh, you know, a pool player will post something on Facebook and share it with their friends and family. And even if you're not a pool player, you can live vicariously through your friend or your family and appreciate what they've done when they've won that local event, whether it's, uh, um, you know, what, what, whichever tour it is. Yeah, social media for pool players is really a great avenue for uh, getting out more of the knowledge and information about what they do because it isn't covered so much on traditional media. So social media gives pool players their own, you know, their own little platform. So whoever their friends are or family members, it gives an alternative source. And of course, uh, we at uh, NYC Grind and American Billiard Radio also aim to provide them that sort of voice and resource. So we're we're here to you know collaborate and bring value to all aspects of the sport, whether you know players or pool room owners or promoters for events. You know we're all about that greater greater good mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the reality is, in order for the sport to, um, you know, have the, the maximum impact, because, you know, there's a, there are two ways to go about it. We can maximize our opportunity through social media and the web and through an open mindset and being willing to work with each other. Or we could just continue to just let the sport um, just stay kind of isolated and, 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 and confusing and fragmented. So, like, if... if if all the pool players are talking about all the different events and what's going on and all the different promoters are talking about the other promoters events and what's coming up next and working with these other promoters so that to the best of everyone's ability you know there are no scheduling conflicts and of course scheduling conflicts are going to come up because there are so many different players and so many tours and so many things going on but as long as all these different promoters continue to have the mindset of okay if we're going to be holding an event in New Jersey in this area and this other tour, which is close by, um, is also thinking about holding an event close by. Let's maybe not hold that event uh, uh, that weekend and, and, and work around their schedule or figure something out that makes sense or schedule another pool room that's a further distance away that be able, like, so that the draw could be split, so to speak, or the field could be kind of split. Uh, and I believe that as long as people keep communicating with each other, and just like, for example, us, we work with uh, AZ Billiards, Inside Pool Magazine, Billiards Digest, Pool and Billiard, um, you know, Professor Q-Ball. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we appreciate everyone for everyone's contribution and their unique contribution to this pool world. And we encourage them to continue to come out and help, uh, you know, be there and take photos of these players and, and write about 
the, the game from your unique perspective. And, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. And if there's any way we can help out any of these guys that are out there that are, that are, that are tirelessly, tirelessly, you know, following their passion to help get this sport the exposure that's needed. And, you know, bottom line, these there's only a handful of people that are out in this world. There's the pool world, but in the real world, there's only a handful of people that are really trying to keep this this sport alive in terms of billiard media coverage, right. real coverage, writing about the sport from from a professional like perspective, and contributing positively, contributing, not knocking, not 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 just blogging, but positively contributing to this sport with coverage, with insightful information, following people's stories and lives. There's only a handful, and when I see these people out there that are doing it. That are that are sharing um, their you know they're they're utilizing their resources their their time and their ability and they're sharing it with people that's just an amazing gift and it should be appreciated uh, I believe more and you know the best thing that we could all do is if we do appreciate it we just share it and push it out most definitely JT I think you really uh, really hit it on the head because there's we're, we're still in this stage where we're building up toward making uh, making the right progress towards getting you know getting pulled the limelight it deserves. Um, so on that similar note, with the different different events going on and respecting the scheduling con conflicts, there is uh, another big event um, happening in. Pennsylvania this weekend as part of the Mez Pro-Am Tour, which most of the Mez events are either in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, a uh, couple events I believe they hold in New York as well. And this event, it's a two-day, or two separate tournaments. It's the Mez Tour 10-Ball Shootout, which is going to be on Saturday, August 30th. And then on Sunday, August 31st, it will be the Mez 9-Ball Shootout. And each event is limited to 16 players. It's a $150 entry, and the entire entry pot will be paid out to the players. So this is going to be taking place at Cross Corner Billiards in Smoketown, Pennsylvania, which is uh, right outside of Lancaster. And we're going to be... Uh, having coverage from a couple of NYC Grind's newest contributors, we have Alex Dobler and Eric Lynch, who will both be on site covering and uh, doing updates on the NYC Grind Facebook page. So you can check out that coverage there, and those are going to be exciting events. I believe that uh, Jason Shaw and Darren Appleton are both planning on attending that event from, from what I understand. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really excited about some of our newest contributors who, you know, are investing their time and energy at making a unique contribution uh, to NYC Grind's efforts to help get the word out around the sport. And uh, Joe Rat Joseph Radke, who uh, helped us with photos for both the Steinway Classic and the World Tournament, um, was really awesome. You know, Joe Joseph was uh, there for a large part of the, you know, all the events, all the days of the events, 
you know, both events, Simon Classic and the World Tournament. He, I mean, he was there pretty much every day, and uh, we appreciate him. And Eric Lynch from Pennsylvania, who, you know, was one of the, in my opinion, the bright lights of the shining stars out there in Pennsylvania who are really passionate about growing the sport of pool. Uh, you know, he came on board as a contributor, like as a, you know, he really stepped up and took an active role and, uh, you know, helped us capture some key moments, some really great moments of the event as the event unfolded, you know, live and just captured it and helped us post it on our Facebook page for everyone to see. So we had, for example, um, Angie, uh, Darren Appleton's uh, now new wife at the time, fiance, following Darren's progress through Facebook, through social media. And I know that Angie stayed up to date of this sport of pool through NYC Grind and our coverage of the sport uh, through, you know, on a more act in, in a more up-to-date version through Facebook. Well, well it, through the, the approach of Facebook, getting that content out quickly through Facebook, but then also... Uh, providing in more in-depth coverage through NYC Grind, which Allison, you spent a lot of time in kind of curating uh, that conversation as that that tournament folded. Just talk about that a little bit, and let's talk about let's talk about the World Tournament a little bit, and uh, then let's just wrap this up and you know keep this moving as we prepare for for uh, this weekend. It's a very busy weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, World Tournament was really a, a remarkable event overall. We had both myself and Jerry on site at the event all seven days and we were uh, doing daily reports for you know, for the majority of the days of the tournament and on the final day we actually did live update reports via Facebook so that players uh, any fans worldwide were able to follow play-by-play -play what was happening through both of the semifinal matches and the final match which I, just the reaction from the people and people were on the edge of the ed on the edges of their seats like everybody loved it and just feeling like we're able to better include the people that couldn't be there in person for me that just it's an awesome feeling to have that power and there's so many people out there I know that are dedicated to doing their own personal updates on social media and doing their own uh, individual things and that's that's what everybody that's that's the bigger picture is getting more information out there in a timely manner and making it relevant to whoever might be out there on the receiving end. Exactly right. So that pool players, uh, friends and family can follow their story, follow their progress. And we're excited about um, you know being a part of that conversation and help, helping, helping provide the tools and the platform through NYC Grind, which is one platform, and then also through NYC Grind's Facebook page and other social, social media efforts through the, you know, those platforms. Right. So it's just really awesome to be able to keep the conversation going around the sport of pool. And I just want to mention that there was a huge buildup around the Hall of Fame. And I'm really excited. Uh, and I'm still really excited. Like, I was really excited leading up to the event because Jim Rempe was uh, one of the first players that I really had an opportunity to 
watch and break down his game because I was long, I was ta I was taught by Gene Nagy and he mentioned how Jim Rempe had an impact on him. So I had an opportunity to really uh, spend a lot of time with AccuStats tapes and learn his game. So I was um, part of a collaborative effort to um, showcase a video that was presented at the Hall of Fame banquet that was presented by Charlie Williams and Cindy Lee from Dragon Promotions. And they had a, a really awesome dinner, um, which was, in my opinion, the highlight of the World Tournament where Jim Rempe was inducted into the Hall of Fame and Jeanette Lee and a lot of other um, legends like Earl Strickland as well as up and coming players came up to speak and that was just an all around great experience and I'm excited to announce that um, we plan on releasing the Hall of Fame uh, banquet video uh, tomorrow Friday so we're excited about that and we're excited to share with you that video that was shown and we're actually going to add uh, kind of an exclusive um, sneak peek into a conversation that I had with Jim Rempe in his hotel room when he first came to Queens as he prepared, um, you know, and kind of just settled in here in Queens. So we're going to include some footage that wasn't shown at the banquet, which I'm really excited about. That's so very cool. That's pretty much it. I think we should, uh, we, we should wrap this up. I appreciate you, Allison, and your ongoing contribution. And I'm really excited about some of the things we have planned. So you know, to everyone out there, we appreciate you. Please comment, please share, please like if you like it. If you don't, comment that you don't. Whatever. We're looking for feedback and we, we need conversation. Let's just continue that ongoing collective conversation and share what you believe other people would like to see and just, you know, pretty much help us get that exposure out there. So thank you very much, Allison, and uh, I'll let you wrap up. All right. Thanks a lot, JT. Uh, there are two upcoming events I do want to briefly mention before I close. Also at Snookers in Providence on not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, we have the Northern Lights Women's Tour, which is the WPBA-sanctioned regional qualifier tour on September 6th. So a lot of the local area uh, lady players will be attending that. And also on that same weekend, uh, the J.P. Shower Northeast Women's Tour will be at Rax in West Hempstead, New York on Long Island on September 6th through the 7th. So um, I know Karen Kaur has been one of the recent winners on that tour event and it's uh, very likely that we'll get to see her back. And we, uh, we really, um, really want to encourage anyone who's in the local area or no matter where you are, to go out and support. Just show up, watch the players, and you know, take in these events, support the local pool rooms because they're, they're what's keeping the sport alive. So I want to leave on that note, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. Uh, this is Pool on the Grind here on American Billiard Radio. I'm Allison Fisher for AmericanBilliardRadio.com. <laughs> Searching long time to waste playing pool 
14 hours of being the fool The leather creaked as the nine ball drops Ending all hope for a comeback pop 14 hours of chalk up and play Nothing to show except the light of day As I broke my cue This day at last was long overdue As I laid out the bills on the mahogany rail The money was crumpled and the green looked pale Well, look at this, I didn't lose it all There's two bucks left for a power